Hi, I'm Katie Marquette, and you're listening to Born of Wonder. And here there is something more than just a transient experience. It's about uh, being. It's about the things that matter to me. It's about the white spaces between the paragraphs. Then God said, let there be light. It's a mistake you always made, Doc, trying to love a wild thing. song Scarborough Fair, this is probably the version you are most familiar with. Simon and Garfunkel's 1966 hit from their album Parsley Sage, Rosemary and Thyme. You are probably less familiar with this version. That's Martin Carthy singing, and he's the one who taught the tune to Paul Simon. You're probably even less familiar with these versions. It is dear you will miss with a neat lass, will you tell her she'll be a true That's Georgia Ann Griffin singing in Georgia in 1939, and Mary-Kate McDonough singing in County Leitrim, Ireland in the 1970s, a tune she remembers from her childhood. Tracing the history of such a well-known ballad is like searching in a maze, it turns out. Every time you think you've found the source, you hit another wall. Like so many folk songs, Scarborough Fair has gone through dozens, well, hundreds really, of iterations over the centuries. And on this episode, I'll be exploring some of the storied history of this English folk song. Welcome to Born of Wonder. I'm Katie Marquette. On this podcast, we explore anything and everything that inspires wonder and awe in the world. Welcome to season four. This is exciting. I'm so excited for this season. We have so many fun episodes lined up. We're going to be talking about Beatrix Potter, Archangels, uh, today, all about the amazing folk song, Scarborough Fair. I'm going to introduce you to the amazing, uh, soon-to-be saint, someday saint, Blessed Pierre Giorgio Frasati, whose feast day is coming up on July 4th. We're going to uh, learn some 
more about Scottish folklore, one of my favorite topics, as you all know. I'll be talking about the aesthetics of Downton Abbey, children's literature, Harry Potter, Lady Mary, just so many fun things. I'm so excited and so glad that you are here. Uh, Thank you so much for listening. If you are new to the podcast, you have uh, a bit of an archive, I'm happy to say. I'm happy with, uh, you know, we're we're in season four. That's exciting. So um, we have a fair amount of episodes, 40-some episodes for you to explore. Everything from the movie Groundhog Day to uh, interviews with authors like Benjamin Lipscomb and uh, and friends like my friend Miriam, who I think is going to be my guest for the Lady Mary episode. We can just talk about Scotland all day. Maybe we'll just do a two-part Scotland episode. I know many of you love Scotland like I do and are wishing away uh, this summer weather, thinking that you uh, instead are on some remote cliffside, you know, wearing one of those great barber jackets. The wind is just like blowing your hair with the sea breeze. Uh, There's like a mist in the sky. Like that's where I want to be. I don't want to be in the humidity. I don't want to be looking at weeds in the garden. Uh, but, you know, before you know it, uh, autumn will be here and we will be celebrating that on, on this at the end of this season, too. That will round out the season. We'll be talking all about autumn and the return of rhythm. If you'd like to learn more about the podcast, more about me, read essays, uh, blog posts, things like that, you can go to bornofwonder.com. You can also sign up for my newsletter there. I send out one a month at the beginning of the month. I update you on what's going on in my life and in the podcast, what I'm reading. Uh, interesting articles I found around the web, things like that. So um, if you sign up there, you just have to confirm, you know, it'll send you an email and say that you really do want to receive emails. And then you'll probably have to keep an eye out for it in your promotions inbox. I don't know about you, but this really frustrates me. I subscribe to, you know, Substacks, really interesting things um, from people that I want to receive their emails and it goes right into my promotions uh, or even spam folder. I don't understand. So keep an eye out um, in those folders if you do end up subscribing. If you have time to leave a review, so appreciated uh, on iTunes, leave a comment, uh, leave a star rating on Spotify. Uh, That means the world to me. Remember, you can also support the podcast on Patreon and you can message me there and uh, I will send you a letter. I think I'm all caught up now with current patrons, so I'm ready for the next batch. If you would like to, you know, you're tired of just receiving email, um, I'm looking at my inbox, uh, 3,000 emails. Wow, that, I mean, there was a time that would really stress me out. I was reading a Nora Ephron essay where she was like, I have 190 emails unread. And this was in the early days of email when you actually would read everything. Um, so if you're tired of looking at that inbox and not receiving anything really for you, and you want to receive a letter with your name on it, get some fun mail, not just a bill or something, I'm happy to do that when you become a patron, $2 a month, and uh, you just send me your address when you sign up. So without further ado, let's go into uh, learning a bit more about Scarborough Fair. So what is Scarborough Fair anyway? What is this fair? Uh, So Scarborough is a coastal town in North Yorkshire, England. Besides its famous fair, Scarborough was well loved by Anne Bronte, and she died there at the age of 29 in 1849. Just thought that was an interesting side fact. Uh, Scarborough Fair was uh, was a fair. It was began with a royal charter from Henry III in 1253. Uh, it was a huge autumn time trading event, people coming from the Byzantine Empire all around the world, prospering well into the 17th century or so. Um, so Scarborough Fair, the song, at least in the mid-1800s, 
seems to have been sung in a major key, not in the haunting minor tune we all know. So I thought that was very interesting. But before we get too deep into this history, let's trace the modern version of Scarborough Fair. Like I said in the beginning, if you know the song, you probably know uh, the Simon and Garfunkel version. I certainly do. I love it. What a beautiful song. Uh, it's weaved in with sort of their anti-war canticle. Um, just, just, a, just a beautiful song. Um, and Paul Simon, so he learned that tune from folk singer Martin, Martin Carthy. Uh, and he encountered that song in a songbook called The Singing Island, published in 1960, which was compiled by husband and wife folk musicians Ewan McCall and Peggy Seeger. And McCall received the melody from a retired lead miner in County Durham, England, named Mark Anderson in 1947. And then we don't know where Anderson learned the, the song. We know probably from a traditional source, as frustratingly vague as that is. Um, so Scarborough Fair, the song is a variant on a traditional song that of course is much older than the 20th century called the Elfin Knight, um, the oldest known version of which that we at least have the lyrics to. We think it's much older than this, but uh, dates back to the mid-1800s, a Scottish ballad entitled, entitled The Wind Hath Blown My Plaid Away. And here you can hear a little bit of that. For there once was a fair maid went a walk blow 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 ye winds blow i between yon salt sea certainly doesn't sound much like scarborough fair as we know it but there are um in the lyrics and uh and the rhythm there is a lot of parallels uh in this story a girl wishes to be an elf's lover so he tells her to sew him a shirt in exchange for his love just like that cambric shirt we hear about she then appears to change her mind and gives the elf a series of impossible tasks. The elf then admits to having seven children and a wife, whoops, <laughs> before disappearing, much to the girl's relief. So as we understand it, the modern chain ends with coal miner Mark Anderson, who presumably, like I said, had a traditional source. So we can really only trace the modern version back to 1947 or so. But what about the melody? Uh, was that a modern creation? Uh, well, yes and no. Uh, there are some versions from the mid to late 19th century that do use a Dorian mode, like the famous melody, and so they are at least very close relatives to the version we know today. There is sort of this minor key thread, and of course, just because it wasn't recorded until the mid-1800s or so doesn't mean that that tune isn't much older. Very interestingly enough, the fair itself isn't even mentioned in many of the versions. So Scarborough Fair, you know, isn't even known as Scarborough Fair. Um, the earliest known lyrics to include it are from 1860, many years, of course, after the fair itself was even in existence. Many versions of the tune, especially in America, start with the line about a cambric shirt, skipping the fair altogether. Really interesting. Tracing this, uh, it would seem that the early, you know, Irish, English, Scottish settlers arriving in America before the Scarborough Fair insertion into the traditional tune in the mid-1800s or so. So basically, if you came to America uh, with that traditional tune in your pocket uh, before the mid-1800s, you wouldn't have heard about this uh, insertion of Scarborough Fair, which seems to not appear until, uh, in, until the 19th century. And so what about that herb refrain, the famous parsley, sage, rosemary, and thyme? 
So a version from 1827 goes, Sober and grave grows merry in time. There you'll meet with handsome young dame, and once she was a true love of mine. A version from 1780 goes, Sweet savory grows rosemary in time, without needle or needlework, and you shall be a true lover of mine. And then there's a version from 1783 that does have all four herbs. Parsley, sage, rosemary, and thyme, without any seam or needlework, and you shall be a true lover of mine. So needless to say, these herbs come in and out of versions all the time, sometimes heavily featured, sometimes not mentioned at all. Is there any symbolism to them? Uh, maybe, you know, uh, just, you know, nothing explicit, but they do each, of course, have traditional associations. Parsley is thought to take away bitterness, both medically and spiritually. Sage represents wisdom and immortality. Rosemary represents love and fidelity and is often worn in bridal wreaths, even today in England. Time represents courage and strength and was sometimes worn on knight's shields. So we've got, you know, taking away bitterness, letting go of that, wisdom, we've got love, fidelity, courage, and strength. So some good strong symbolisms there in those herbs. Uh, how, how, you know, purposefully uh, they were included, who knows, especially since so many versions don't even include them at all or have uh, only a few of them. But regardless of how we have the song, where it came from, or the long winding road uh, it took in order for us to know the version we all know today, thank goodness we do, because it is such a beautiful tune, such a haunting melody, and the story itself is really, is really lovely. I mean, really sad in a lot of ways. It's about unrequited love, a young man requesting impossible tasks from his lover, saying that if she can perform them, he will take her back. In return, she requests impossible things of him, saying she will perform her tasks when he performs his so sort of a, a sad uh, stalemate there and you can certainly see again how that would mirror the story in the elfin night that I talked about earlier so this was a very condensed uh, but hopefully informative and interesting um, backstory to Scarborough Fair I just sort of assumed it was a very very old song I just thought, oh, this has got to be from the Middle Ages or something, and maybe it is, um, at least in its most foundational origins, but like with anything, um, it took a very winding road, and uh, the history of folk music is so interesting because for so long it wasn't written down, it was just taught, you know, it was... Uh, we, we take so much for granted that we have music so accessible to us. It's amazing, actually. I always think about that sometimes when I just turn on the radio or if I want to listen to a symphony or something. I can do that just uh, with the click of a button, you know, just put it on Bluetooth in my car, in my headphones, whatever. Uh, but think about if you, you know, if you couldn't hear music on demand and somebody came into town who knew how to play the guitar and had, you know, a repertoire of like 40 or 50 songs, I mean, that would be an amazing gift. And if you played an instrument, the way that you would learn it would be from other musicians. And that's the way that... Um, that, that folk music uh, grew and spread and, and also why we would have so many versions because it would be taught by ear and maybe you would hear it a little wrong or a little differently or maybe you liked a different version of it or you'd sub in your own line or um, there are some Irish versions, for instance, of this song that include Irish fairs instead of Scarborough Fair. So you might insert local things uh, that are relevant to you and then you would teach those to, to your, your kids and the people in your village. So it's just such a fascinating um, history and of course can only be 
there's only so much that can be traced. So a lot of the the sort of origins of the song and the melody and everything like that are really we we can't really say where they came came from. So many folk uh, songs will just say a traditional origin, and uh, there's normally just some sort of stopping point in the mid 1700s or 1800s or something. We just can't go that far back because it simply wasn't written down. It was by um, you know by word of mouth. It was actually being taught. Uh, in person and that's the way that that music was was heard and loved and known and uh, so I I think there's something beautiful about that and I think uh, I really learned a lot um, diving into the history of this I want to highly highly recommend a uh, just fantastic presentation it's like a powerpoint on youtube called the true story of scarborough fair and the elfin knight includes 30 historical recordings that's where i got the audio at the very beginning um from uh from the the singer in georgia and the singer in ireland and i mean there's so many recordings and there's so much information i i just distilled it uh so that it could be digestible on the podcast but if you're interested in going sort of deep deep dive into this i highly recommend this presentation uh, done by the Folk Revival Project. I will put a link in the show notes to the YouTube video. Um, so thank you to the Folk Revival Project for providing us with this amazing history. Because if you just go on, you know, Wikipedia or something like that, you'll find sort of a very simplistic and turns out, in many cases, outright wrong <laughs> history of of the song. So very grateful to the Folk Revival Project here for such a in-depth and uh, um, and. Uh, interesting history of of this well-known song so that will wrap up our first episode today um thank you to my husband chris who provided the little guitar version of scarborough fair i played throughout this episode and also there at the end he played a little version on uh jojo's little piano we have like a little piano that her wonderful um aunt and uncle got her for christmas it's a beautiful tiny piano and it actually makes a very sort of haunting version of Scarborough Fair. So thank you to Chris for figuring that out and playing for us. Um, So obviously I recommend Scarborough Fair and the many beautiful versions there are of it. But uh, I thought I'd I'd leave you with something else so that you have at least a chance of uh, something else being in your head (laughs) besides Scarborough Fair um, is a a great song called uh, Wild Mountain Time by Burt Janch. Burt Janch is one of my absolute favorite folk musicians. Um, his album LA Turnaround is one of my very, very favorites. Um, he's, a, he's just wonderful, amazing guitarist. Um, I, probably my favorite song maybe is One for Joe, of course, I think of, of Jojo. So it's a wonderful song, but he also does a beautiful version of In the Bleak Midwinter, which is one of, has become, thanks to him, one of my favorite um, Christmas carols. Uh, and then he has this great song, Wild Mountain Time. My husband's favorite is uh, Rain or Dine. Um, so, the, I mean, they're, just look up Bert Janch. Uh, there's a real treasure trove out there uh, of his amazing folk music. But I will just play out Wild Mountain Time here, which is a beautiful, beautiful song. Uh, and it, that can be in your head now instead of, you know, the Simon and Garfunkel loop. So, <laughs> um, but thank you so much for listening. I hope it was fun. I hope it was interesting. Um, maybe made you appreciate music and the amazing access we have to it. Next week, we're going to be talking about Beatrix Potter, uh, author of the wonderful 
Peter Rabbit books amid, among so many other uh, brilliant animal characters. Um, just fantastic. She had an, an interesting life and we're going to be sort of just immersed in the wonderful gardens uh, of the Cotswolds with her, learning a bit about her and uh, and her wonderful creations. So can look forward to that. Uh, feel free to email me anytime, uh, bornofwonder.com slash contact me. Uh, yeah, I'm staying off social media again. I got on for a little bit, did some polls, and everybody said they listened to podcasts during the summer. So I hope you all are downloading this because I'm not taking a summer break. So I took it seriously, what you all said. Um, and uh, yeah, but I, I was on there and I said, oh, this is overwhelming again. So for now, I'm off. I'll get on again in a month or two. But in any case, it is not a reliable way to get in touch with me. Please email me <laughs> instead. Thank you so much for listening. As always, I'm Katie Marquette, and this is Born of Wonder. It's about the white spaces between the paragraphs. Then God said, let there be light. It's a mistake you always made, Doc, trying to love a wild thing. 